those are on. This one's on.
Okay. That was Welcome everyone. Thanks for thanks for coming out to uh, what promises to be an extraordinary event. Uh, one announcement: uh, next, not next week, two weeks from now, May fifteenth, we will be having a reading with uh, Janice Lee and Ronaldo Wilson. So uh, the reading will be in the SME performance space, which is the other space in that giant, uh, incredible building over there. Uh, but um, we're happy to be in this space today, and it feels like a, a cozy. Uh, it's not as chilly as it usually is in here, so something something good has happened. Uh, I'm not introducing uh, Evan or Carmen today. Uh, another person named Ben will be introducing Evan, and Sophia will be introducing Carmen. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to ask Ben to come up and... Uh, Oh, yeah. I'm going to thank the Dean's Office of Humanities for their support of the series and remind you that this is being recorded. And so turn your phone things off. Let's not interrupt anybody. Then uh, take it away. And, and Sophia, you'll just come up after Evan's done, okay? Give you a nod. Thanks. Um, I have this. All right. Can you hear me? Am I close enough to this thing? Um, is this doing things? Oh, I feel really close to it. Yeah? No? Yeah? Here? Yeah. All right, whatever. There's not that many of you, and I, I'm not important. Like, I'm the, I'm the like crappy opening act meant to improve the appearance of everyone else after me. Um, so, as always, I begin with an apology, and then. Um, idea for introduction using a formal strategy borrowed from the author being introduced. Idea for introduction composed entirely of lines discarded from attempts at writing an introduction. Introduction mentioning Evan Lavender Smith is not so much difficult as difficult to pin down, as hard to reduce to genre or tone. Mentioning formal strategy as a means to fragmented narrative that therefore better maps onto real life than conventional realism. Mentioning the state of New Mexico, the recent success of the New Mexico State Aggies men's basketball team. Fear that introduction will seem sloppy or half-assed. Fear that the audience will have no idea why introduction was not properly written. Mention from old notebooks as an update of the constraint writing tradition, but as quasi-constraint. Introduction serving actually as an excuse to develop theory of the quasi-constraint as a major trend in contemporary experimental prose. Introduction written as an example of quasi-constraint writing. Introduction serving primarily as a way to append superlatives onto otherwise unremarkable descriptions of Evan Lavender Smith. Worry that someone else has used this same gimmick to introduce ELS. Introduction serving primarily as an extended joke, pretending that Evan Lavender Smith successfully sued James Cameron after the release of Avatar. Terror that audience will not find introduction funny. Terror that ELS will, offended, refuse to read. Hope that, should someone pre have previously introduced him in this manner, that their version was not as well done. Introduction framing ELS as a man floating through space in the company of a thousand teardrops. Introduction that figures ELS as a philosopher in novelist's clothing. Introduction using author's own figures as metaphors for describing author. Novelist in philosopher's clothing. Answering the question, what if David Markson was funny? Short story in the form of an introduction to a literary reading. Bad idea actually performed as introduction to a literary reading as proof of idea's lack of value. Introduction composed entirely of embarrassing, familial, and personal revelation taken from author's work. Regret at still not finishing up with introduction. Fake regret at still not finishing up with introduction. Introduction as a genuine appreciation and admiration of a writer whose formal experimentation, rigorous thought, and language use serves as a personal inspiration. Fear that honesty is not funny. Introduction that expressing uh, introduction expressing gratitude for chance to introduce. Fear that honesty is the wrong kind of funny. Scene of Evan Lavender Smith cringing, crying actual thousands of tears. Evan Lavender Smith wishing to be floating alone through the void. Introduction exceeding the length of the actual reading to follow. Introduction that, devol that devolves from a scripted gimmick into an improvised 
actual introduction. And this is the part where I improvise the actual introduction, <laughs> um, in which I just say, um, basically, that I really love your work, and I'm really excited to have you here. And so everyone, please uh, welcome Evan Lavender-Smith. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ben. And no, that was the first time. You're the first. Uh, so you're also the best. Um, thanks, Ben, for having us out. This is awesome. Um, I'm going to read from, uh, from Old Notebooks um, in honor of the reissue uh, that's just taken place of the book. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I, like to, I like to read the the little quote I have here from Nietzsche at the beginning of the book. And then I'm, I'm going to read from uh, the beginning and, and skip the, the more embarrassing bits. Um, Even now, whenever I accidentally touch this book, almost every sentence turns for me into a net that again brings up from the depths something incomparable. Its entire skin trembles with tender thrills of memory. The art that distinguishes it is not inconsiderable when it comes to fixing to some extent things that easily flit by noiselessly, moments I call divine lizards, but not with the cruelty of that young Greek god who simply speared the poor little lizard, though, to be sure, with something pointed, a pen. Short story about a church on the ocean floor, congregation in scuba gear. Memoir in which narrator struggles to describe her childhood, offering two or more contrary accounts of the same event, having been raised by divorced parents with unresolved anger toward each other, such that discrepancies between parents' accounts of each other's involvement in her childhood have damaged narrator's memory beyond repair. Academic essay entitled, Cute Title, Serious Subtitle, on the preponderance of precious subtitling in academic essays. Novel in chapters each chapter spanning one year, 1977 to 2006, in lieu of chapter number, photograph of Tom Cruise's face from that year. Story about a garbage man who cannot fathom how anyone might be content living a life not wholly dedicated to being a garbage man. Something entitled Born Dead or Born Died. Novel that suffers from the Y2K bug, iPods all the craze in 1906, etc., Short story about someone living inside of a piano. Short story about a male professor whose academic specialty is representations of female prostitutes in novels and films. One day after class, he sneaks away to a hotel room on the outskirts of town in order to experience firsthand the forbidden delights of real-life prostitute sex to finally defeat the hooker simulacrum. But the prostitute, upon learning that the skinny, balding man struggling to unbutton her blouse is a literature professor, becomes eager to chat about novels and films, especially those containing representations of female prostitutes. She, suge she, she suggests that these films and books have strongly influenced the way she performs being a prostitute. The professor passionately insists she is mistaken. She demurs. Argument ensues. Prostitute finally stands up for herself with all the cliched self-regard of prostitutes in novels and films, storms out of the hotel room. Novel in which the verb to be and all inflections thereof appear italicized in every instance. Seen from a film in which Steven Spielberg carries his severed arm across a war-torn battlefield. Essay arguing that Aaron Copland is the best American composer. Essay arguing that Aaron Copland is the worst American composer. Screenplay in which screenwriter includes a cast list with Hollywood stars cast in improbable roles. Arnold Schwarzenegger transvestite prostitute, Bruce Willis, dead guy in morgue, Angelina Jolie, leper, Jim Carrey, drive-by shooter, Julia Roberts, crack whore number one, Tom Cruise, crack whore number two. Novel about a haunted cryonic storage facility. Memoir beginning with detailed narrative description of subject's rich and fertile childhood slowly disintegrates into list of difficult books he read as an adult reality television show in which 10 writers living in the same house compete for a two-book deal. Academic essay after Moretti quantifying the extent to which Jackson Pollock's paintings influenced late 20th century hairstyles. 
story about a mother who develops an allergic reaction to her kids. Short story in which the most crucial plot details are divulged in footnotes, the most trivial details in narration. Character whose job is to talk people down from manic fear of death episodes. Pamphlet quantifying the difficulties of quitting smoking versus quitting drinking. Baby in story chokes on errant outlet cover dies. Short story in which protagonist becomes addicted to drugs because he has a drug bully friend who appears to suffer tremendous affront upon protagonist's suggestion, maybe we should call it a night, such that it seems to protagonist their relationship will suffer irreparably if he doesn't stay out all night with drug bully doing all sorts of drugs. Short story about a child who excitedly goes to see a 3D movie, but his strabismus prevents him from looking through both lenses simultaneously, so he sees the movie in either 2D blue or 2D red. A huge theater, everyone around him ooing and eyeing, flinching, throwing their heads back in unison. Child sitting motionless, getting up, excusing himself from aisle, hurriedly exiting auditorium, finding a bathroom, locking himself in a stall, weeping. Short story about a world in which fear of death is physically infectious. Satiric essay story in the form of a reality show contract. Title of Carmen's hypothetical self-help book book for new mothers, How to Take a Shit While Holding Your Baby. How as a child I once felt that everyone but me was an automaton, as I sometimes feel still except for that but me. Dying character's last words, I wish I would have eaten more fruit. God, how I wish I would have eaten more fruit. When I looked down to find my T-shirt hiked up, my boxer shorts ballooning out over my belt. In high school, when I bagged my pants and wore extra-large shirts, a friend one day alerted me to this same condition, so pronounced on this day that when I sat down on a concrete bench outside the cafeteria, my shirt bunched up around my waist to reveal a section of pure bare thigh below my boxer shorts, above my pants. Something called the misanthropic principle. Essay describing the structure of infinite jest is Hostadarian strange loop, the novel's structure being that of a circle with a missing section between the first and last pages, which must be filled in by the reader, between the last and first pages, rather, which must be filled in by the reader who has been, by the end of the novel, prepared, practiced, coached to do so, just as life allegedly teaches one how to die. Short story about a career bookmobile driver. Character who ejaculates on dollar bills before setting them back into circulation. By waving my hands before my face, I affect physical processes of unfathomable complexity, as I do when thinking of nothing at all. Reading something I greatly admire, pretending I wrote it. Reading something I greatly admire, pretending I wrote it, and pretending I'm someone other than myself who's greatly admiring it while reading it. Pretending I'm Tom Waits' best friend. Reading something I've written and pretending an author I greatly admire has written it. Monologue spoken by an aging pianist composer based on Prokofiev, beginning with the following sentence. My fingers have grown very tired. Something entitled From Old Notebooks, simply a transcription of entries from these notebooks. Story involving a couple whose divorce proceedings center upon the allocation of the books contained in the family library. Living off campus on the outskirts of a city where I knew no one, in a studio apartment the size of a large walk-in closet, I would occupy myself in the evenings with an obsessive study of the shadows of my hands against the wall as I faux-conducted piano concertos. And later, after having taken three Ambien, intimate conversations with bits of magma crawling across the carpet that had detached from the glowing wires on my electric space heater. That same year, in a fit of manic loneliness, I invited a raccoon into my apartment with a trail of cracker crumbs. Do not let Jackson and Sophia live off campus as undergraduates. Contemporary authors who construct a thick barrier between themselves and their readers such that authorial vulnerability is revealed negatively, i.e., via the construction of the barrier. If Team USA had a mascot, it would be God. Character who refers to Wellbutrin as his muse. 
I hope to one day storm out on Terry Gross during an interview because I am that kind of eccentric, famous author. Story about a character who goes around knocking on the front doors of strange houses, claiming to have once lived there, receiving gracious tours. Artists who take comfort in the potential posthumous legacy of their art must forget they have no chance of cheating death, but only oblivion, and that only for a moment. James Joyce might seem to me less dead than most dead, but to him, he's just as dead as all the rest. How it took Carmen and me more than two years to call Jackson by his real name. How many ridiculous nicknames we shuffled through. Butt, butt, butt face, angel butt face, bean, bean butt, beaner, beanie, beanie butt, beanie butt face, before recently landing on his real name. How, after two months, we've called Sophia only baby sister or beanetta. <laughs> Mr. Lavender Smith, welcome back. It's been nearly 850 billion years since you were last alive. How are we feeling this morning? Removing a copy of Saramago's The Gospel According to Jesus Christ from the shelf at Barnes & Noble to find all pages inside blank, either a printer's error or joke, purchasing the book anyway, taking it off my shelf from time to time to thumb through it. Short story about a psychotherapist who sues his client, a novelist, for stealing and plagiarizing his ideas. Uh, my response to Carmen's apprehension when I told her I plan to use her real name in From Old Notebooks. What, are you scared to be immortalized or something? <laughs> the suggestion that Ulysses might someday be considered the final part of a trilogy beginning with the Old and New Testaments. When taking the garbage out to the street on Wednesday nights, I shield the sky and stars from my eyes with my hand so to not spark needless ontological distress and ruin my evening. My grandfather is born, my great-grandfather dies. My father is born, my grandfather dies. I am born, my father dies. My son is born, I die. My grandson is born, my son dies. My great-grandson is born, my grandson dies. Story about a character whose mother attempts suicide the day following a major argument between them. The son stands firm and continues to ignore her. The next issue of McSweeney's printed on the exterior of its cardboard shipping box. The next issue of McSweeney's print list recited to subscriber by mailman. <laughs> the next issue of McSweeney's printed on a roll of toilet paper. My second worst fear would have to be telephonophobia, fear of telephones, specifically fear of talking on telephones. It's rather difficult, however, to distinguish between my actual fear of talking on telephones and my affectation of my fear of talking on telephones, as if my telephonophobia were at once entirely sincere and totally fake. Stressed out mother in story prescribed Xanax for anxiety begins crushing up pills, sprinkling in kids' cereal. As kids' tolerance increases, mother ups the dosage, etc., etc. I feel comfortable putting off getting spiritual for another 15 years, just as I feel comfortable putting off getting in shape for another 15 years. It makes no difference to me where or how I live so long as I have my family by my side, my wife and children, meditative pause, and of course my books, another, and my porn. Um, let's see. Take a short story about a trio of preteens hiding in bushes next to the green of a blind par three waiting for golf balls to land, scrambling to gather balls and place them all in the hole before golfers arrive, diving back into bushes, waiting expectantly. I took my brother to a strip club on his 16th birthday, and he fainted while receiving a lap dance. That same night, a man with Down syndrome waited in line to give a dancer a dollar. Holding a bare breast in each hand, she bent down to grasp the dollar bill in her cleavage, the retarded man spit the dollar from his mouth and bit her on the nipple. She yelped and slapped him, stood on stage crying with a trickle of blood on her breast. 
the countless hours I've spent scrutinizing grout lines in public bathrooms, um, a rhyming abridgment of Ulysses for children, two days without a cigarette, two days without drinking, three days without a cigarette, three days without drinking, two days without a cigarette, two days without drinking. From old notebooks, a memoir. From old notebooks, a novel. From old notebooks, a memoir. Title of my dream autobiography, Hookers and Blow. How I feel proximity to Bloom such that when I read, then he read the letter again twice, I perceive a violence upon the contiguity of his consciousness to mine, and my eyes must return to the beginning of the letter twice. Pouring a tumbler of Jameson too late in the day, 7 p.m., already time for beer, unable to find the funnel, hiding the glass on my desk behind a stack of books for tomorrow or for after beer. No matter how I live my life, they will either say he lived a very good life or he lived a very sad life. Wittgenstein's proposition that the immortality of the soul would be no less enigmatic, no less inexplicable than mortal existence, which remains the single most disturbing reading experience of my life, having had hitherto placed all my eggs in the basket of the promise of immortality, may be an example of a startling thought that will seem perfectly obvious to the children of the future, as the cogito seemed to us when we were kids. Cogito? Cogito? How, after we buried Sarah in the backyard, all the other dogs of the neighborhood came and sat together on a hill overlooking her grave. Dada, where moon? I think it's a new moon tonight, sweetie. Huh? It's a new moon, hun. I'm sorry. Huh? I'm sorry, sweetie, but I don't think there'll be a moon tonight. Oh, Dada, my so sad. Uh, seven-year-old Drew from next door who drowned when his hand got caught in the drain pipe on the floor of his swimming pool while we were away on family vacation. Upon learning of his death, Mom saying, if only we hadn't been on vacation, maybe we would have heard him screaming and been able to do something to save him. Dad, but we wouldn't have been able to hear him. He was underwater at the bottom of the pool. Surely I'm misremembering. Do philosophers who write in the aphoristic mode contradict themselves of necessity? The entries in From Old Notebooks are the shadows cast by my life, which is the story just beyond the reach of the book. The entries are the evidence of story. The mistaken notion I've carried with me my whole life and continue to carry with me despite my certainty that it is entirely mistaken, that things with me will generally turn out okay, that things concerning me and my life and things concerning those people I care about will in the end work themselves out for the best. Although this entirely mistaken notion continues to be reinforced day in and day out, I do not doubt that it is entirely mistaken, that it is in fact the very opposite of what will happen. Everything will work itself out for the absolute worst. Everyone I care about will die. And yet somehow I go about my life actually believing in this nonsense. The women I've been with in my life have displayed an aptitude for armchair adjectivizing, strappy, shticky, sucky, skanky, crampy, trampy, headachey, boutique colicky, PMSy, salady, garlicky, lemongrassy, swimsuity. The apparent influence of Notes from Underground on so many of my favorite novels, The Ranting Cellar Dweller, or From Dostoevsky to Bernhardt. Once again, feeling emasculated by the network connection wizard. A play which presents the goings-on of the backstage of a play, the stage of which is ostensibly the backstage of our play. Characters are hurled from our backstage, their stage, onto our stage, their backstage. Our stage, their backstage, is a barren, apocalyptic wasteland of no hope. Every moment they're on our stage, their backstage, characters yearn to return to their stage our backstage. At the age of six, I fell asleep holding a teddy bear, at 16, holding a book, at 26, holding a woman nursing a baby, at 28, holding a toddler, holding a teddy bear, a book, and a woman nursing a baby. Thank you.
the students in the in the house who who are here for different classes would you please extend uh, these words of wisdom to your peers and just tell them to get here on time or to just bear the public shame of coming through the doors when someone is reading and not bang on the doors because it's rude and then I yell at you <laughs> and I like yelling at you so you're really only helping me um, I've decided to call this introduction a, uh, a mash note <laughs> to the work of Carmen Jimenez-Smith. Um, so uh, welcome, everyone. And um, I have been given the task of introducing uh, Carmen, who is a poet, uh, an editor, a publisher, and a professor. Uh, she is the author of uh, several chapbooks, Reasons Monsters, Can We Talk Here?, and Glitch, uh, as well as collected poems in Odalisk and Pieces, The City She Was, uh, and most recently, Goodbye, Flicker. Um, she is also uh, the author of the memoir, Bring Down the Little Birds, and co-editor to the fiction anthology, My Mother, She Ate Me, My Father, He Killed Me, and you should totally go check these all out. They're great, um, they're, they're excellent. And we have some of her work at, at Geisel, so you don't even have to pay for it. Sorry, Carmen, I'm just poor students. Um, she's also the recipient of the 2009 Poetry Society of America's New American Poets Series, a 2011 Juniper Prize winner, and 2011 American Book Award winner. And recently, she had the uh, Howard Foundation uh, Fellowship in Creative Nonfiction. Carmen's work uh, straddles love-hate-love relationships, uh, as in Odalisk in Pieces and The City She Was, and this keen perspective on the connective tissue in humans, between humans, and within human language is what gives her work such adaptive aptitude. You read something like Ars Armatoria or Stockholm Syndrome, and you think it's for you, like she's been ninja-sneaking through your life, listing your millennial doldrums, She's been rifling through your medicine cabinet and your bookshelves and your cell phone. Her work knows something about you and is very good at telling you what that is. Her work has also been called promiscuous, uh, perhaps because it doesn't shy away from its expression. It tangles itself and creates patterns of sound and emotion that are simultaneously new and familiar. In Bring Down the Little Birds, uh, her memoir, Carmen takes us on a journey through motherhood that is honest, reflective, and not the least bit contrived. With a profound understanding of the human condition and an effervescent wit, Carmen's work will permeate your consciousness and you can easily come to know her poetry and prose as it has already come to know you. Please join me in welcoming Carmen Jimenez-Smith. Thank you. It, I, it was exciting to be introduced by someone named Sophia. That's my daughter's name, so I'm going to see, uh, see it as a sign of good luck. My daughter is here with me. Um, this is hard picking out what to read, but I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to do it a little differently than I, than I thought I was. I'm going to read first. Um, um, I'm working on a new book, um, so I'm going to read from that book. Um, it's called My Brother. Oh, sh shit, I don't have time. <laughs> okay. My Brother. My brother is a savior who can torpedo through privilege with an artistic stun gun. He's a tempest saturating the city. He makes a scar in the earth, draws out an admixture of folklore and animus, plus a pinch of worry from our adolescent miseries, so he can build endless self-perpetuation, literally, with big red bricks. This he does with our so-called inheritance. We once walked on our father's periphery, looking in like the matchstick children. We walked the edge of our houses to find a warm window. Was it there? It wasn't. The self-preservation, that hunger and fear made of me 
a bewitching hybrid of broken coat trees, an orbital chair and door, king choir, maybe that elemental cultivation of fading into the wallpaper. We're still looking plush with hunger. My brother speaks the clouds patois, a clatter calm medium loosens a grip, wears on the surface of his planet. I said anything. I walked far away. I left my brother behind. More tenderness might have made us better failure without the sting. We might have known magic and we might have found magic and known its transport. The instability was the brutal grief of one tornado. I'm going to begin um, by reading from just a couple poems from Goodbye Flicker since y'all were reading it and um, reading it, talking about it. This one's called Thorny. I'm the doll in the highest turret where I cast my mother into gnarls and sire infants who consume the last slivers of me. Head on a pillow, I'm a saga drifting over the kingdom, but this isn't why the place implodes. The other explanation is my mother combing the sycophant's hair. My father, gone too far on a boat where he dispatches inquiries about my disfigured face, makes a moat into me, two points on a map. A release of birds signals a grand mall of fireworks because the prince has come and touched my face. Face, I mean mask. Inquiry, I mean the awkward discourse on the radio filled with misnomers and allusions to battles with thorns. Something like a lament today is a poem that's uh, kind of loosely ba uh, based on a um, on a play that um, that Yeats wrote. He wrote a kind of f fairy tale um, based play called, and so this poem is something like a lament today. Fairies, come take me out of this dull world. Undo me from these harrowing serials. Unhand me from certain doom at the hands of my educators. Offer me elsewhere. Take me back to the convex mirror. Fairies, I paid for mortification, and will the audience know what to make of it? Fairies, my moral failings are best described outside of time. Suspicion, greed, pride. Fairies, this renaissance of flesh confuses me. No one holds the key of me. I'm living in illusion, relishing it. Take counsel about complication from uncomplication. Fairies, draw down dark clouds upon my detractors. Make me detractor like you. Fairies, let's shake the universe loose of filth and of deception and of betrayal. They have physical names like Beatrice and fairies. You have my fealty. Fairies, I'll drink the potion. I'll fall and fall. I'll go all Odysseus on you and for you. Because what else is there but the other side of Peter Pan with a walker? Wish on that. I'm going to read um, Stockholm Syndrome, which you mentioned um, which is the uh, the book uh, the city she was is is kind of um, it's a, it's kind of like a, a mash note to um, to San Francisco, but it's also um, it's also the book is based on um, Ovid's poems of exile. So it's it, it's kind of that lament that fear of being trapped somewhere and being away. Stockholm syndrome. The city's banishment is the hand where I sleep like a foundling. Yellow streetlights bristle against the grid and I quiver like an obedient child. I covet the stink of weed and funk in the hours before dawn, the worst time since it's cool and barbaric. Then it's that morning of brackish soup of which I would eat gallons. Once the city was a he, his arms around our Congress with enough alchemy to narcotize, eyes rolled back. Once it was a she and we experimented with each other's tongues because of anonymous and polymorphous. The radiant heaping dog shit and its glaze on our skin tastes of irony, of nickel. 
A newspaper drifts down Mission Avenue and announces our new war. The folds alter the story. The broken glass, a prism for the burdock in the cracks. Wrappers scuttle like living things, skin shed of flesh. The half sounds from my mouth are dirty with pathos, with yellow neon. The alley, my polluted gullet, launched into this world poor and blind. I got hooked on turmoil, and it's been costly. Once on the edge of the ocean, I stepped on a bit of wood with a nail in it, love bite. The ocean sunned herself against the shore because of our loneliness. Church bell sounded dusk to reify our seclusions. I have a book coming out um, this fall uh, called Milk and Filth, and it's, um, it's, an, it's an homage to second-wave feminism. Um, so I'm going to read a few poems from, from that book. This poem is called Happy Trigger. Off-season and in the burnt forest of my nightgown, a feral undergrowth that marks me as burial site to be still enough or just enough. My arms become fat arms, hearth. I eat dirt for doubt, a secret bleached old as lie. I outwant like a spindly winged monster. If I were a bug, were I? Then you'd hope for reparation and paint more brown into the plot. Radicalization. An agitator holds her sign up asking, do you feel equal so you and your sisters deride her because she's so public about injustice, so second wave? Your sisters gather around her with scorn and sully her earnest nature. It's thanks, but no thanks. I can vote, walk into the pharmacy for my plan B, wear a chain wallet. One sister throws an apple into the melee, and the unfazed agitator bites it. Her straight block teeth break the fruit apart, which shocks your sisters. But when they've abandoned their mockery for the lure of a choice bazaar, earrings, Ugg boots, removable tramp stamps, a sex in the city marathon, you're hot for the agitator. The crowd clears and you kiss her sweaty neck and use her agitating sign as a bed. You scrawl her agitating words onto your belly and stand naked against her muscle memory. Not just the cause, the impulse, the result, but the buzz of lack. You'd like to consume it right out of her, that humming, electric dissatisfaction. Then you'd look to, like to put it out of your body in the form of a Louise Bourgeois sculpture, milky, blobbing, love the star fuckery of doing it with her and to her, then the sticky pulling apart, the eternal production of polyurethane eggs wrapped in yarn. Um, uh, Milk and Filth has a, 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 a muse. It's, it's an artist named Ana Mendieta, who I, I talked about it in the class, was an earth artist. Um, she did all kinds of stuff. She was a performance artist, um, and, um, and she was dark, and I, that's why I love her work. And so this um, poem is um, about her work. Um, so if you haven't seen the work, hopefully you'll kind of get a sense of what it is. Um, a Devil Inside Me, after Ana Mendieta. One. Seven powers, ye who are so sticky with our divine effusions, I kneel in thee with great piety and exploit your intercession through the great spirit. See my petition and grant me agency and vision. Please remove any obstacle which causes me to stray from the beauty way. Lofi, I trust in the words, the personal is political, let it be so. Two, art had a problem. Her body was explicit abattoir with its ribbons of sulfurous smoke and raw animus. Her body was a meteor but wasn't being written. Press a hand into earth's flesh. Duplexity comes up like inception. The body print is an illegible surge of leaving trace of self en route. The figure like a bottle of wine, stiff as a board, grave as lead. What moves underneath? The moss silhouette, mute but vatic. Three. 
Inside the thicket, the tree, inside the tree, heart. Inside heart, the water where body garlands the surface like fur. The body, a territory. From inside the territory, call for reversal. The call for reversal is native first. Four. Water encloses the body's vestige in a conspiracy of sticks, or the body schemes with verdure and mud ambrosia in a tree trunk, that baptismal consecration. Art history banished the body and its sopping glut in customary expulsion. The body pushes back. She is found embedded, heart exuded in the wind, the study in stone outcroppings in land, marvel. Torrent of impulse, torrent of unlikeliness, implacable corpse in the aesthetic mortuary. And for this, she brought the process of gunpowder. For this work, audience and documentation from every vista, each atom as witness and cohort. Five. Because she's marginalized in situ, she stitches hairs to her face. Her squinting mug is coarse mistress parody. Bloodied mortification and witness makes her work Marianism, raised in paper houses and their attendant infiltration, immersed in these new reclamations. She strips the land of its nationalist fripperies for scrap metal. Six. The body is a battleground. Drone attacks on it. If it's broken, they buy it. If it's splayed on the table for dissection, they bought it. Blood is the enterprise. The rocket in their pocket is a passport. The wind tucks the ash into its pulsing to seize that force and dam up the rivers with it and furrow the earth with an atoning blood cure and rise up into a storm to divide the sky, real prayer woven in the threads. Seven. It's natal, no hesitation. She was brought up alien, arbiter of corpus release and brute transience. The crevasse effect craters into mistranslated exoticism. Maps aren't the discourse for it. The theme of long-haired rosary wipes out that old sovereignty. Automaton just never felt right, neither did provincial white goddess. The traces of fervor in the very ventricles of the conjoined earths the terrain is dark asylum, positive darkness, naturally mutilation. Eight. Why this kingdom? You find the stone on a mountain fit with others like it. Not trees, houses, villages, or wells. This empire is disappeared. Only seldom voices stones with hours tethered to them. The goddess is dead from treason, so her people fade white as water in the cold, then disappear into the stone horizon, become the wall's face. So um, one of the things uh, that happened as a result of me reading, um, thinking about Ana Mendieta, and we talked about, um, about trying to write poetry um, that, social, that also can act as social practice, and she used her body a lot, um, and so I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, but uh, um, I thought um, maybe there's ways in which I can use my lyric subjectivity and try to um, politicize that. So I'm going to read a couple of poems um, from um, a new work. This one is called I'm Ill. I'm ill. I'm federal. I'm on leave. I'm a child of refuge. I'm holy. I'm a shit. I'm desperate. I won't tell you anything. I'm first gen. I'm gen X. I'm tied up. I'm bipolar, I'm barely fertile, I'm a secret. I'm the now, I'm indifferent, I'm a disgrace, I'm funny, I'm assistance, I'm not saved, I was Mormon, I'm atheist, I'm serious, I'm scared, I'm head of household, I'm quick-tempered, I'm day job, I'm night ghost, I'm failure, I act white, I'm quick-tempered, I live bankrolled, I'm deliverable, I'm not gang, I'm crazy ex, slippery, I'm post, 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 I'm greedy, I'm double-crossing, I'm delusional, I'm of average BMI, I'm hairy, I'm indebted, I'm weak, I'm non-confrontational, I'm in therapy, I'm sorry, I'm empowered, I don't have a tattoo, I don't have money, I don't have friends, I'm agoraphobic, I'm a versifier, I don't have a valid passport, I've never been arrested, I should have been arrested, I know too much, I can barely read at times, I can barely rise at times, I'm queerish, I'm marginally fit, I'm arthritic, I'm flaky, I have few skills, I'm salty, I'm a time bomb, I'm baptized, I'm dry, I'm chronic pain, I'm big at mom's house, I can't remember how many, I am obstructionist, I'm a master, that was my confessional. Thank you very much.
dichotomies. Prose versus poetry, poetry versus the nation, the nation versus my horde, my horde versus the dog, the dog versus the scorpion, the scorpion versus filth, filth versus Prozac, Prozac versus ennui, ennui versus blunder, blunder versus debt, debt versus de defect, defect versus fucking, fucking versus the internet, internet versus art, art versus weed, weed versus night, night versus the wimpy kid, the wimpy kid versus chapters, chapters versus parallelism, parallelism versus your spectacles, your spectacles versus a glare, a glare versus balm, balm versus heat, heat versus talking, talking versus getting, getting versus the clock, the clock versus semester, semester versus my tender spirit, my tender spirit versus twaddle, twaddle versus our collective wreckage, our collective wreckage versus diagnosis, diagnosis versus committee, committee versus post-feminism, post-feminism versus Sontag, Sontag versus sentimentality, sentimentality versus television, television versus us, us versus Apple, Apple versus family, family versus flight, Flight versus the bourgeoisie, the bourgeoisie versus indifference, indifference versus sunshine, sunshine versus your company, your company versus my duplicity, my duplicity versus your program, your ver program versus my programming, my programming versus your door, your door versus my duplicity, my duplicity versus before. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, would you be up for answering some questions? Sure, I know sure, you've sure. been working for a yeah. while, so no, we'll just okay. do a few. Oh, you can see the audience now. That's yeah. nice. <laughs> so if you can, if you hear questions, okay. maybe try to repeat part of Okay. What, uh, as far as did you write the last poem that you read? Um, I was thinking about uh, all the m sort of micro contradictions um, that inform how you make decisions. Um, and I was sitting in my room and just kind of looking around and thinking of all the sort of, you know, my son's book, um, work, an email from some asshole at work. So I just, and trying to sort of prioritize and realize that prioritizing isn't sort of this way, it's kind of like a continuum. Um, so that's how, that's why I wrote it that way. I'm just interested in your um, poem that you said is about San Francisco. Like, I find lots of poems that I write, like well, things that I really love, I highlight the negatives, even though for me they're positive, and then people read them and they find it so uncertain. I was wondering, is that your approach here? Do you feel like it was a negative or positive approach? Yeah, you, you know, the um, I was thinking of a, a few people um, who write about cities, Benjamin, um, Baudelaire, uh, and the, the, a love affair with the city is a really complex kind of love affair. It's a love-hate relationship because it, it has its darkness. It's like, you know, it's like that dark guy and the, the drummer in a band that you really, you know, who's going to give you herpes, but like is a really good drummer, you know. So, um, so that, that ambivalence, I think, is, is kind of historically been um, engaged, um, and that was sort of what I was going for. But also the, the, the other idea was um, the, that sometimes even when you're living in a city, it's a kind of exile. Um, it's uh, because you are sort of not, in, you're in a world, but you're not in the world. Um, and that was, you know, I don't know if that answered your question, but I, you know, I wanted to get that ambivalence. Ambivalence is actually my favorite feeling. Um, <laughs> so it's, a, it's in my work a lot. Well, I was, I was just talking about this in class. I think um, there was one of the things, certainly, was uh, a writer named David Markson wrote um, four books that are, you know, in a way, they're a little more than just uh, these uh, compendium of literary anecdotes. Um, but he sort of arranges them in such a way to create a kind of arc about the book. Um, and then that was, that was certainly one of the sort of inciting moments for me, writing the book. I think also, though, um, you know, I write a lot of things down in notebooks and uh, never end up 
doing much of anything with them. Um, and I think at a certain moment, writing, writing things down in notebooks, as I was writing things down, I think it occurred to me that, um, that the notes themselves could function uh, in the manner of a book. Oh, I, I should repeat the question. Uh, the, the newer poems and uh, their relationship to um, the different kinds of uh, books that I've written. Um, if I, I, at the, I think if, if you boil all my books down, there's just this kind of lyric sensibility to them. That's, that's at the very center of them. Um, and so the new poems, I'm really kind of thinking about how... Um, how stripped down lyric subject, like how much you can take away from lyric subjectivity um, syntactically and, and um, in terms of, of, of construction and still preserve the spirit of it. Um, and so uh, the, the idea of litany, which is a, a, a lyric impulse, um, but then kind of playing against how litany works, kind of making it harder and um, just more monotonous but, but like, so in a way, those newer poems are um, kind of for, formal challenges for me to imagine the expansiveness of the lyric. The lyric is, is like, a, I know a lot of people hate the lyric or, um, can, you know, interrogate it or um, think that it's outmoded, but I actually think it's the most exciting place for poetry, um, and so I, I just want to keep working in it. Um, in lots of in making it as plastic as I can, and so that's that's the the evolution of that. You mentioned you have kids. How has that changed, evolved, or impacted your writing? The question is, uh, how have kids affected yeah. affected yeah. my writing? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think um, just in terms of subject matter. Um, I do. I mean, I write a lot about childhood, I think, in any case, uh, for what, I, you know, sort of nostalgia or something. And I think, I mean, in a way, having kids has given me, uh, it provides a kind of apology for writing about kids. Like, I'm allowed to write about, you know. I'm, um, but I think also, you know, you hear, you hear parents talk about it all the time, like um, sort of uh, a... a you know, a, rem a remembering of a certain way of looking at the world. Um, you know, and I think that the um, in my writing, I think I, I'm all I'm often looking for ways to um, to write about innocence. Um, and I think that uh, my children have have helped me sort of remember uh, certain types of innocence that I'd maybe forgotten. Um, I th for me, it's a, a more, uh, I've become more mercenary in terms of time. Um, like, I, uh, I have to get stuff done. I, I, I've become a much more efficient writer. Um, but the fact is, is that um, kids take a lot of energy <laughs> and work. And so when I, when I am working a lot on a project, everything falls apart in a way, you know. Um, our kids don't get as many baths and... You know, their hair is all tangled and, you know, but I don't know, like, uh, it's fun. It's fun and to listen to them and their ideas and some of the things that they say. Um, uh, we're, we're just kind of like, that, that's how we, we just have these other two people. I, I joke and I call them my roommates because they're just like these two other people who are really interesting and complicated and you have these relationships with them. And that's you know gets you thinking about who you are and how you are in the world. Well, you've been working for a long time now, so let's, let's look. Thank you.